Hi there, welcome to another Music Eye Focus with me, Music Eye's editor, Joe Sparrow. And this week we've given my normal sidekick, or partner in crime if you will, Stuart Dredge, the week off. And we have ushered in a very special guest, Tim Westergren, former founder and CEO of Pandora and now founder and CEO of live streaming platform sessions Uh, and we'll be talking to him in just a few minutes about some fascinating things around the live streaming space now music ally uh, in general provides an analysis rich guide to the music business and that's what these focus podcasts aim to do as well we're going to be uh, talking about one of the most important things in the modern music industry with tim in around about 15 20 minutes that means it should take about the same time as it would hypothetically take patrick Berlatelli of Dundee, Illinois, to peel and eat 120 bananas. That's because in 2012, uh, Patrick ate eight of them in one minute, which is making me feel a little bit congested just thinking about it. Okay, let's move on to our special guest, Tim Westergren. Tim was the former founder and CEO of Pandora, and while he was there, he helped build the current digital music landscape. He left the company in 2017, frustrated by what he called the Music Industrial Complex Vortex. He has a way with words. And last year, he launched a new startup called Sessions, which is, well, it's a bit more than a live streaming platform. Uh, he'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, but it's uh, fundamentally a live streaming platform for emerging and established artists. And uh, one of the things that Tim wanted to talk about was the way that Sessions is different to what he says uh, every other streaming platform on the market. In, especially in the way that they market artists to fans. It's a really great conversation and uh, we cover a lot of ground here. And in particular, Tim has some very strong opinions on Spotify's discovery mode, which is a way that Spotify is marketing artists to fans uh, in uh, controversial circumstances. So here we go. Here's Tim Westergren. So Tim, uh, thanks for joining us. It's my pleasure, Joe. Great to have you back. Now, we've spoken a few times in the last year um, and about sessions and part of your sort of pitch to, uh, of what sessions is in terms of its connection with artists is that it's helping artists hold on to their direct connection with fans to own their data, to really close that gap between the art that they create and the people that listen to it and consume it. Um it's been approximately a year, I think, mm-hmm. since you launched, or it's 18 months. How is that? What have you seen in terms of that growth and feedback from fans? Initially? First of all, it's, you know, we haven't spoken for a while, so how, how have things been going there? Yeah, so it's been, I mean, it's all been growing very quickly. And I think all the theses that we started with here, to me, have sort of proven out. Um, and I think furthermore, looking at the way the whole space is evolving over our team over this time, I think the need for this is just growing more and more and more urgent, um, you know, with respect to artists being able to have this direct, direct connection monetized directly, sort of have a greater control over their careers, frankly. Um, I, I would say in a nutshell, what, what we're seeing now, we have about thir- uh, 32, 3,300 artists performing every week down the platform. And those range from, you know, artists you'd never heard of, um, to somewhat more established artists from countries all over the world or in a couple hundred countries. And what we're seeing is kind of systematically, these artists as they play are earning more and more money and their fan bases are growing. And we're not necessarily talking about, you know, millions of fans. It can be dozens or 50 or 100. But what we're learning is that in this context, when you have such a direct connection and when the artist can really cultivate that connection, a relatively small fan base can turn into real money 
So it's been really encouraging. One thing that's been really interesting about Sessions is that you've always maintained uh, from the beginning that it's about those smaller smaller artists as well. And you were saying that, you know, perhaps an an artist has a couple of dozen really, really core fans. Um, And we'll talk in a minute about how uh, you're, you're, you're sort of investing in technology and marketing to help get those artists connecting to a, a wider fan base. But w- when you're talking about a, um, an artist with, you know, a couple of dozen really g- sort of enthusiastic fans, I'm not asking you to put a price on that, but what kind of, what kind of, um, how are they, how are they supported by those fans in ways that are sort of making a difference in terms of money? Yeah. And I'm happy to sort of throw out some figures a little bit too, but, um, okay. the, you know, in, in a, essentially the, the, the compensation comes from, you know, what most people call tipping, we call it giving love, which is a way of using virtual currency on the platform to you know, pay the artists, the vast majority of which happens during a performance. You know, so it's a bit like the busker um, getting tipped. And of course, in this context, there's a lot of interaction surrounding that. So the artist and the fan are literally talking back and forth. And if I chat and the artist, of course, with live audio communicating, making, you know, uh, uh, speaking to each other, uh, reacting to the music, making song requests and so on. And um, artists with... 40 or 50 is sort of really uh, enduring fans can be making north of $50,000 a year. Um, wow. There are artists with a couple hundred fans making north of $100,000 a year. So it's really remarkable, you know, how much more yeah. efficiently you monetize this when you're doing it in this context. And and, and is that really because it's you, you've closed that gap so much that it's it's this sort of yes you talked about the intimacy and mm-hmm. talking and reacting to the the, the fans mm-hmm. but is is it really about the sort of the ease in which you can you know yeah throw throw the uh, throw the tip into the hat as it is yeah I think there are two principal ingredients that make this successful um, one is what we call the growth engine which is this technology that we've developed over the last you know ten twelve years that is about fan acquisition. So we as sessions are spending our own money on our, through our marketing platform to acquire fans. And we're doing that constantly. So whatever effort an artist is putting out on the platform and playing, we're going to be amplifying that in a really, really efficient way to find more people and continue to flow them into their, their sort of entertainment space. And I think so for clarity, that means that you're actually, you're, you're actually promoting the artist and not the platform that's, itself. That's correct. That I mean, right? we're, yeah. we're, we're promoting the artist's performance. So, you yes. know, Joe Sparrow plays on Thursday night. We're going to be out looking for folks that we think would be a good um, fan right. for that performance. And, and we're literally spending that money, which makes us unique, right? There's, there's not a single platform on the planet that is actually spending its own money to promote these artists. It just doesn't happen. It's not happening. And the reason is they can't get good unit economics, which speaks to the second point um, that I think makes it successful is really, you know, this gamification. So the, my partners come from the virtual free-to-play gaming world and <clears throat> the art of free-to-play gaming is turning a free player into a pair. That is the genius of gaming. And it is an incredibly sort of nuanced, complex uh, system that, that you deploy and that helps make it easy for a fan to um to compensate the artist and you put those yeah. two together and that's when you get this kind of magical formula uh where an artist just starts to grow yeah and you, you've 
you were talking about the investment you're making into bringing fans to artists specifically around their performance. You've launched in recent months, or you've been working on these um, two elements. There's something called the Fan Forward Program, which is it has an AI marketing uh, element. Is that right? Which which brings people in. How does that work? And what, what's the ethos mm-hmm. behind that? Sort of to build on what you just said. Yeah. So again, Fan Forward is something we kind of have come to over the last year because we realized that this this capability of um, growth marketing um, and gamification is kind of a generic capability that could be applied across an artist's kind of content suite, if you will. You know, it started off with live streaming. And if you and I had spoken a year, about this year ago, when we did, I talked about such a live streaming site. And what we've realized is that live streaming is a component of this. And um, we just uh, did a deal just a couple months ago with a band called Why Don't We, which is a, an Atlantic band on Warner, you know, a successful global touring band. And what they've done is they've established their own presence on sessions and they're delivering content through that live performances, virtual experiences, et cetera. And there's a subscription to that. And so we are using the growth engine to drive fans to that. And then during all these performances, we're using gamification to help that monetize. And it's been phenomenally successful. And and I would say that, you know, as we look at this industry writ large now, we sort of see two baskets of musicians. One is musicians with no fans. We call them rising artists. And then the other is musicians with fans, so somewhat more established artists that have been around a little bit. And um, this Fan Forward program, which we're focusing primarily on the uh, on um, artists with fans, I think is going to be kind of like the Amazon Prime for every musician, all these musicians where They've got a core subscription service, but they're just steadily delivering additional value. And I mean, again, the level of monetization dwarfs the kind of money they can make anywhere else in digital music. When you measure that, is that in terms of the amount of time they have to put in, or is it in terms of the like, in a sort of per fan basis or both? But the money they're making uh, per fan, and just the money they're making overall. So yeah, yeah, um, yeah. These are. Uh, like I, I, I threw out some numbers before, but you know we're talking about seven-figure annual recurring revenue streams for these more established artists, um, and these are recurring, right? So, you know, yeah. to what to 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 the um, you know the comments you made at the very beginning of this, I think the sort of central idea here is that an artist in this context really does own their fans. They're their fans. They have a direct connection to them that's not mediated. They can connect with them when and how they please, perform when and how they please, charge what they want, establish their own kind of retail uh, product, if you will. Um, and it's it's just, you know, right now, musicians' livelihood is dependent on waiting for some kind of, you know, revenue share coming out of the back end of these giant media platforms, social network platforms, advertising platforms, subscription services, and whatnot. They really have, they don't own the fan. They have no connection to the fan. They're just like getting a royalty essentially from the consumption of their music. And those, all of those um, services are highly incentivized to reduce the amount of money they pay to their content. That's how their business models become more profitable. And that just is a very precarious place to be for musicians. 
So if you're finding this useful and you would like more insight and uh, instant analysis every morning in your inbox, as well as access to all of Music Ally's industry-leading reports, head on over to musically.com slash subscribe. Indie labels, artist managers, and publishers might be eligible for a free subscription too. What In what ways can artists and labels and right holders push back against that, that existing system in order to... Um, make it work better for them. And if what you're saying is, you know, with with uh, on sessions, you're building a platform where people can have a direct connection and they can make loads of money, mm-hmm. and that sounds great. And yet, then we've got this other, we've got this uh, sort of uh, the other side of the industry, which is pulling in huge amounts of money. But you know, we, we've we've reported widely on the sort of the complaints that you hear from some artists saying that they don't see enough of it. So, mm-hmm. what's the balance there? There seems to be two quite sort of polar. Well, not polar, but the two very different approaches. What 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 can people do to start pushing back? Yeah, so, I mean, of course, as you know, I've lived on that side for many years uh, when I was yeah. running Pandora. So I, I know what the spreadsheets look like, you know, and I know what the business models look like. And I don't think the solution for this, unfortunately, lies in trying to extract a greater percentage of royalties from those services. I don't think the money is there. It's, it's a structural problem. You know, the, the price they charge and the sort of level of monetization per fan, sort of monetization efficiency is just too low. And so there's been this, you know, decades, two decade old battle now of fighting over, you know, the, the level of sort of per stream fees for artists. And I think that's kind of a fool's errand. I, I don't think that's where the solution is. The solution is going direct to fans. And that's where an artist is going to find um that's where the opportunity lies to solve this um yeah we're seeing essentially artists become quite atomized if you like they're an artist is its own business now they have they might have a small team around them but they have to do everything Mm -hmm. at least be in the beginning until they start signing up to collaborate with labels or what have you do you think at that initial stage when they're in the growth period that then they should really just focus purely on direct to fan even if initially it might seem like well i'm not gonna i don't have the opportunity to connect to get on a playlist with you know 30 million subscribers yeah. it's a great question you know i think to myself if i was you know i was a musician a long time ago but if i was beginning a musical career now what would i do and i certainly think that i, I would think of these platforms as marketing vehicles so a way for me to get my name out there because they have giant they have giant audiences um and that serves a purpose but my eye would always be on the day of the mechanism for bringing those fans to, into my direct world. And I would spend 90% of my effort thinking about, about that, building on that, and, and sort of using my, the assets I have, you know, my time, my creativity, and so on, to start establishing <clears throat> my own storefront. And the truth is, it's hard in the beginning. Uh, and, and a musician like, like you did, had, had two, 30, 40 years ago, you know, has to rely on sort of hard work in the beginning. Um, But as we're discovering here on sessions, you can start with a relatively small audience and that can become somewhat sustainable. Once you have that kind of beachhead, I think then the opportunities sort of open up. You know, once you can kind of do music full time. (laughs) um, Yeah, yeah. Then I think, you know, you start building on that. So I, 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 I'm, I don't, I don't, I think you're asking exactly the question that all musicians need to ask themselves, you know, what's, what's at the end of all this, you know, all this time I'm spending chasing streams, like for what purpose, 
what, where does it get me in the end? With that in mind, then, you, you're running this rising artist program uh, at Sessions, which is essentially about surfacing, is that right? It's about surfacing new acts, new mm -hmm. artists to the audience. Yeah. If, if you, you know, you, you're leaning on your memories of you know, someone sitting in a van and driving around and playing yeah. gigs, what, what, are you, what, is, what is the Sessions experience then like for artists who, who are sort of in that program? Well, the big difference here, I mean, lots of ways Sessions is like a lot of other, you know, sort of music destinations or live streaming sites. And they're full of musicians doing this performance. The big difference here is we're marketing these things. And that is a, um, a fundamental difference. We are spending money. We're solving the problem that musicians have had since time immemorial, you know, the marketing thing. And in fact, if you look at the music industry, you could say it's, it's essentially entirely organized around marketing. So an artist's quest when they start off is to get signed to a label. Why? Because the label will take on the expense of marketing. And in exchange, the artist obviously gives up a huge part of their potential upside because the label is solving the problem they can't solve for themselves, which is sort of large scale marketing. And the labels themselves are making these bets that, okay, we're going to invest a bunch of marketing dollars in, a, in, in an artist in the hopes that they'll catch. And when they catch sort of the broadcast system, will lift them up and we'll get this kind of, you know, amplification um, from, from that artist's growing popularity. Um, but that in digital music, there has been no, uh, marketing solution for artists and that's why every single service looks the same there's a small number of artists that dominate the service whether it's TikTok or Patreon or Spotify or Pandora um, they capture the vast majority of the revenue share and 99.9% .9 of the rest make very little if any from those services because there's not a marketing solution we, we think about the long tail and there's a big spike and a very 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 long shallow tail is, is your hope that the that that long tail actually becomes fatter that there's, there's there's more money further down there's not a big spike in a long tail there's a, essentially a nice big fat middle section if you work hard and build up a fan base you can make money yeah i think it'll get chubbier <laughs> and yes <laughs> it, it, and it and it will and it will be fat way further out um and it'll be long i mean it'll be a long tail um and because that is that is both about um giving access, genuine access to all these folks. But it's also about improving just their general efficiency. So, you know, I would argue that the music industry is a much, much smaller than it ought to be. And if you look at, I mean, it's hard not to, to look at, an, at, a, at a business like this, you know, average, I know at least in the US, the average consumer, I think, listens to uh, 17 hours of music a week. I mean, music is next to sleep and a couple other things like the most yeah most popular activity there are millions of artists every, just about every human being loves music in some way and it's a 25 30 billion dollar industry that's absurd uh and the reason yeah. it's absurd is because there's been no efficient value capture in this business you know it's been a feast or famine business and what digital music did was it it took a it, it sort of even made it less efficient by sort of a one size fits all single price point uh, for all you can eat. And, and I think it is turning music into wallpaper. It's making it a commodity. Um, yeah. And we need to reverse that. And uh, maybe the, uh, the, the chubby tail could be the, uh, the solution. You heard it here first. Yeah. <laughs> um, Spotify recently is 
picked up a bit of heat from some people, but also praise from other sections of the industry, um, some distributors, for instance, around discovery mode, which is their um, uh, a new mode where you can accept a reduced royalty rate in exchange for having your songs placed on yeah. uh, or given prominence and pushed to people. Now, that's a, that's a, it's a, a different, a very different approach to the one you're talking about in terms of uh, uh, marketing spend, if you like, because it's it works the other way around. You you've worked in that an equivalent company in that industry for a long time. You talked about the reduction of rates is is the way that they're aiming to make more money. What are your thoughts on that? Is you you've talked about marketing in terms of putting money in and putting people to the performances and artists. This one is a different approach. What do you, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, this is like deja vu, you know, um, all over again. Uh, and in fact. We did this at Pandora, so I'm intimately familiar with all the decision, the decision tree of doing this. Um, but you know, it's 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 a very logical thing for Spotify to do. I mean, it's a way to reduce content cost, um, and there's a very logical appeal to an artist who's looking for more exposure. Um, but to me, this is really it's underlining this problem that I'm describing, which is, you know, it's reducing income in exchange for marketing which is, you know, that's been the formula for an artist since, you know, for forever. And again, I think the, the, the question has to be, what's on the other side of this? What's the stream worth to you? Where, where are you as an artist? Where do you hope to go in five, 10 years? And frankly, what do we want this music industry to look like in 10 years? Because the way it's going right now in 10 years, there's going to be a few multi-trillion dollar music platforms and those platforms will be populated probably mostly by music made by computers, if not made by computers, made by work for hire. Uh, some small, very small number of sort of pop acts that will be consuming most of the bandwidth. And then this is tiny, uh, these the millions of artists and songs spinning rarely on the service. That's kind of the natural progression. Uh, and for the compensation to be you know, one tenth of what it is right now, because um, there's a natural quest. And like, again, I'm speak from experience. You know, we, when Pandora became a public company, the single issue that was at the top of mind of every investor at every conference was the cost of content. And the company's future rested on reducing that in some capacity. And so you have this uh, unfortunate situation where the platforms through which music is consumed are incentivized to reduce the cost or the value of it. Um, so look, I totally get the discovery mode. I know why I could tell you exactly what the conversations were that led up to it. Um, but I think musicians have to, you know, they have to think about the future. Yeah, we, we all we live in a streaming world now, you know, it's it is the it is the environment in which music happens. You know, people discover music on playlists and then they want to be, if they're an artist, they want to be on a playlist. And so, like you say, you can understand the um, the sort of uh, the, the logic of an artist saying, well, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll gamble on taking less to get onto those playlists because in the long term it's better. To sort of wrap it up then, you, you, you were saying there's a sort of fork in the road. You've got, you, you've got, as an artist or as an emerging artist, you can say, well, you can, okay, you can choose to go down the path of trying to chase... You know, it's a bit of a Hail Mary, but you can cho choose to try and get on the big playlist and become a big artist mm -hmm. and make the big money on traditional streaming. Or you can use, you can let, let that do what it will do algorithmically and use it as promotion. And then you can work really hard in the 
in the space of building up a, a close connection with a, a smaller group of um, fans who are going to fund you. Now, that's not a hard sell, but how do you how do you drag? What mm. will it take to drag those artists with stars in their eyes to say, "Hey, don't target the, the million fans. Start with the thousand. Start with the hundred fans, <laughs> and, and and do it this way." Yeah, I mean that's a great question. You, I think you put that was very eloquently put. You know, and um, the, what will what will do that is proof and right. a growing uh, collection of case studies of artists succeeding like this and artists like them saying, Hey, I'm like that artist. I can do that too. And, you know, it's interesting. There's a, there's a giant assumption underlying all this, that, you know, we're in a streaming world, so I've got a stream. Well, yes, there's one right now. There's one version of streaming. Streaming is your song is part of this giant catalog that is um, delivered through algorithms on the playlists through these mediums and that's streaming. Sessions streaming is different. Se sessions you could say is like streaming engagement and you're performing, you're talking, you're interacting. You know, it's like being the, the musician who does the Thursday, Friday, Saturday stint every week at the local pub. They know everybody there. They know what their favorite songs are and they the you know people come for them and they make a living you know um and i think that's the model as as sort of a luddite as it may seem i think that's really there's a big big lesson to be learned ironically from that for the digital age tim thanks very much for joining us and of course if, if you're out there and you want to check out sessions it's sessionslive.com yes it is thank you joe pleasure thanks for joining us all right and of course, again, enormous thanks to Tim for joining us on the podcast, and we hope to have him back again soon. Uh, so if you found that useful, uh, please share this podcast on with someone else you think might uh, take something away from it. Uh, we also have a free weekly email, The Knowledge, which rounds up a bit of this and that from the best analysis, news, marketing insight, and so on from the Music Ally suite of services. So sign up and impress your friends. Links are in the description as always. So until next time, from me, Joe Sparrow, farewell.